Today is Palm Sunday. Today we celebrate when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey with people lining the streets, waving palm branches. And what were they shouting? Hosanna. 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 Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Have you ever wondered how the crowd could go from shouting Hosanna one day and just a few days later be shouting crucify him? Same people, same crowd. If we can answer that question, I think it will help us understand what true worship is really all about. And I think it's important that we answer that question. Why? In preparation for next Sunday. In preparation for Easter. Because next Sunday there will be hundreds of people who normally are not here. And guess who they're going to be looking at? You. They're going to be watching how you worship. They're going to be watching how you respond to the Holy Spirit and how you respond to the Word of God. They're going to be looking at you. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to be an example to those? Today's going to be a dress rehearsal. Today, at the end of the message, we're going to go back into that song we just were with at the very end, and we're going to practice. We're going to practice for next Sunday morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name. Lord, first of all, that people that are out in this storm, people that are driving, that you would keep your hand on them and on every person here as they leave. But God, I pray that right now your word would become alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. God, that it would become powerful and prophetic in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If you have your Bibles, I'll be in John chapter 12, or you can follow on the screen because I'm going to start out in verse 1 in the New Living Translation, and then we're going to skip to verse 12 in a minute, and we're going to go to the ESV because I like the way it read and for our purposes this morning. So beginning with verse 1 in John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. Okay, so time out just a second, and, and let me explain to you. This, this place, Bethany, was close to Jerusalem. It wasn't far away. This was right before he would go into the city and the triumphant entry on Palm Sunday. And he had these friends. Evidently, they were very close friends. Lazarus was a very close friend. We never hear anything from Lazarus. He's one of the most famous people in the Bible because of what happened to him. And then he has these friends, their sisters, Mary and Martha. And so he's, he's there with them, with his close friends. And this is right after, not long after, he has raised Lazarus from the dead. Verse 2. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. I guess it was. <laughs> Martha served because that's what Martha did. There's, there's different places in the Bible where we see, in the New Testament, where we see that's Martha's thing. Martha served. She, she controlled. <laughs> that's a better way to put it. She, like, told people what to do. She was an administrator. She, she was like, it's, you're cooking the chicken, you're doing the casserole, and I'm going to clear the... That's the way she was. That's what she was doing. Just get that in your mind. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. And then we have Mary. 
Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar. Remember all this going on. Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. I really wanted to, like, when I, when I read that, it would be so cool if I could have, like, infused, like, some kind of perfume into the air conditioner or something. And I wanted this to be so real. I want you to feel this. I want you to sense what was happening. There was chaos in the room. Martha's going nuts. She's giving commands. She's making chicken. She's doing all this stuff. And, 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 and Lazarus is there. He's the man of the hour. The dude was raised from the dead. Everybody's wanting to get a piece of him. Everybody's wanting to talk to him. And then here comes Mary in the middle of all of it. Excuse me. Pardon me. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, thank you. Good to see you. Go around. And then she gets up there in front of Jesus. And she breaks open this bottle of expensive perfume. We're going to find out how expensive it was in just a moment. And she pours it. She doesn't hold anything back. And with everything going on, she pours it out in worship. And the place changes. Worship, authentic worship, changes things. It changes the atmosphere. You're feeling depressed? I get it. Change the atmosphere with worship. You're feeling down. You're feeling oppressed from the enemy. I get it. I've been there. Change the atmosphere with worship. So this is what's happening. The whole place begins to smell. Verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, he said that perfume was worth a year's wages. Can you imagine, can you imagine pouring out all at one time 30, 40, 50, 60,000, whatever is your case, pouring that out to the Lord in one sitting? But that's what she does. And he says, he's mad. Judas is mad. And he says, that perfume could have been, was worth it. We, we, we could have sold it. And giving the money to the poor. Time out. We know a little more about Judas than these folks did. He wasn't worried about the poor. He was thinking, if she was going to do that, I would have taken it. How many times do we think things like that? Come on. He was mad. But here's the first point. Extravagant worship will always attract criticism. Extravagant worship will always... Now, I'm not talking about goofy worship. I'm not talking about bringing attention to yourself. I'm talking about authentic, extravagant worship under the king will always attract criticism. Think about King David in the Old Testament when he came into Jerusalem after a great victory. And he danced before the Lord with all of his might. As a matter of fact, it says he took off his kingly robe, that thing that separated him as a king. He took that off and laid it down and humbly danced before the Lord with all his might before, before God. And who was watching? His wife was watching and criticizing him because he wasn't acting very kingly. If you make up your mind to become an extravagant worshiper of Jesus, just get ready. Because not everyone will be happy. 
not everyone will approve. And I'm not just talking about in here. I'm talking about everywhere you live. I'm talking about how much you give to the Lord, how much you volunteer for the Lord. I'm talking about at your office or in your school and you live for Christ. Again, I'm not talking about being a jerk and hitting people over the head with the Bible. I'm talking about truly living for Jesus. Just get ready. We're going to skip now to verse 12. The next day after this meal, the large crowd, we're talking about thousands of people who gathered from the region that had come for the feast. What feast was it? Passover. It's all prophetic, folks. It's all prophetic. It's all pointed all the way back to Egypt in the Passover. They heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Does anybody know what Hosanna means? I went for years as a Christian not knowing. I assumed Hosanna meant something like praise him. But it does not. Does anybody know? Save us. Hosanna means save us. Actually, if you really dig it out, it's save us, comma, save us now. Save us, save us now. Now, this is a significant moment in history. This is a significant cry arising from the people of Israel. They didn't just come up with this. By shouting Hosanna, they are fulfilling prophecy from the Old Testament. By shouting Hosanna, the crowd is declaring Jesus as the Messiah. By shouting Hosanna, they are declaring him the long-awaited son of David, that he fulfilled God's promise of Abraham all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. By shouting Hosanna, the people were declaring Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. And here's the difference. People were trying to do that some before that, but this time Jesus let them to fulfill prophecy. And when the Jewish leaders got on to him and said, you, are you hearing what they're saying? Do you understand what they're saying? They're calling you the Messiah. And he said, look, if they don't, the rocks and the hills and the trees are going to call out, cry out. My God, it's, 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 it's all prophecy. It's all there. This was significant and prophetic. Verse 14. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. He's quoting now the Old Testament. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. Of course not. (laughs) But when Jesus was glorified, when he was raised from the dead, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. All right, now listen to the next two verses. Are you with me? Hey, in the last service, about that time, the lights went out. So if, if, if they were able to pay attention, all right, I'm just saying, it was, it was unique. Verse 17, I want you to really, really pay attention to this. The crowd, everybody say crowd. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. What does that mean? They were running their mouth about what they had seen and they had not stopped. There were hundreds of people that witnessed Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, and they, from that moment on, were telling everybody. Of course they were. You would too. You see a guy called out of a tomb. With, he'd come out as a mummy. And they had to pull him out. I mean, the guy had been dead for four days. They were telling everybody 
about what had happened. Now, this is the significant verse, verse 18. The reason, say reason. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. I want to read that verse together out loud. The reason why the crowd... Let me start again. I want you to like say it with me. Here we go. Ready? The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. In other words, the crowd was there lining the streets. The crowd was with their palm branches yelling and screaming and, and, and worshiping, with their palm branches waving back, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were there because of what Jesus had done because he had raised this man from the dead. Got that? That's why they were there. Very quickly, I want to give you three types of worship. I want you to write these down. These are represented in this passage we've read. Number one is casual worship. Casual worship. Judas was a casual worshiper. Judas was a disciple. He was one of the 12, y'all. He had a front row seat, Gail, to every miracle, to every lesson, to every act of compassion that Jesus did. He was there. In our vernacular, he was a regular attender. He was in church all the time. But he never truly committed his heart and his life to Jesus. And Mary's worship, when she did what she did, it made him uncomfortable. Listen to this statement. Mary's extravagant worship offended the casual worship in his heart. Now, This message is not meant to be judgmental. I'm not pointing my finger at anybody. It's always reflective. When you read the word of God, when you hear a message preached, even if the preacher's mean, (laughs) like me sometimes, y'all help me, y'all not laughing or anything. You're supposed to be like, no, pastor, you're never mean. Come on, help me. I'm, I'm, I'm coming off Thailand here. I can get intense if you want me to be. What was I saying? What? Reflection. Reflection of what? Y'all, I'm telling you, jet lag is a bad thing. It's rough. It's rough. It's rough. It's not meant to be judgmental. It's meant to be reflective. It's meant that we are to evaluate when we hear a word. Okay, so this is not meant to put my finger down or to, to judge you at all, but what kind of worshiper am I? What kind of worshiper are you? What kind of worshiper do I want to be? How about this? What kind of worshiper do I want my children to see in me? What kind of worshiper do we want the folks who come in here who never go to church next Sunday to witness and to see? That's what I'm talking about. Folks, there was nothing casual about what Jesus did for me. 
There was nothing casual about what Jesus did on the cross for you. So God forbid we allow our worship to become mundane. God forbid that we allow our worship to become business as usual. God forbid that we allow our praise to become lip service because Jesus is worthy of more than casual worship. Come on, somebody. Casual worship. Number two, crowd worship. Crowd worship. The crowd worshiper does what the crowd is doing. If the crowd waves palm branches, they wave palm branches. If the crowd shouts Hosanna, they shout Hosanna. If the crowd is excited and into it, then they are into it. If the crowd is energized, then they are energized. If the crowd is lethargic and doing nothing and sitting there like a a, a bump on a a lot, I can't even come up with the right thing. If the crowd is doing nothing, they do nothing. If the crowd switches from Hosanna to crucify him, Do you remember why the crowd was there? They were there because of the sign. They were there because they saw Jesus or heard about Jesus raising a man from the dead. The crowd was there because they thought Jesus, listen, could save them. Not from themselves, but from Rome. They were there because they thought, finally, we have a king. Finally, we have a conqueror. Finally, we have a general. Finally, we have a leader who's going to come in here and raise up an army against Rome. And we will finally be free of Rome and their influence and their captivity over our land. They were worshiping Jesus because of what he might do for them. Look at the screen. The crowd was not worshiping Jesus because of who he was, but for what he could do. For them. Isn't that the song we just sang? I wish I was smart enough to have put that together. But the Holy Spirit did that. I didn't know what song they were going to sing until this was all completed and done earlier in the week. God has his hand on us. God orchestrates things like this. And that's what that song was all about. Can I teach just for a second? I'm going to anyway. Y'all aren't with me. There are two lines of prophecy, two tracks of prophecy about the Messiah in the Old Testament. The suffering servant track and the reigning king track. Both are absolutely true. Both are absolutely valid. Both are the same person. Both represent Jesus Christ, but the people missed it. The Jewish people were looking for the reigning king, but Jesus had to come first as the suffering servant because he had to deal with my sin and he had to deal with your sin. He had to save us from ourselves before he could save us from anything else. He had to come first as the suffering servant. Servant, the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem was the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, but he didn't come in with, with, with a horse, on a horse like a conquering king, he, 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 which is what they wanted, by the way. It's what they expected. He came in with humility on a donkey. He came first as the suffering servant. He was, you know, he was beaten beyond recognition. He was nailed to a tree 
as a criminal. He took the stripes on his back for our healing. He died. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. But I'm here to tell you on the third day he arose. On the third day the suffering servant wasn't suffering anymore. Jesus was glorified and exalted. And listen, the story is not over because in Revelation 19 it says that Jesus is coming again. And folks, I'm telling you, he's not coming back as the suffering servant. He's coming back as the reigning king of glory. He will never die again. He did it once and for all for my sin and for yours. He's coming again. He's coming again. So back to our original question, how can the crowd go from Hosanna one day to crucify him the next? I think we've answered it. They were worshiping with the wrong motivation. They were focused on, just like Tyler said, themselves, their agenda. Instead of simply worshiping their king, What should have been the most joyous day in the history of Israel became about themselves and what Jesus could do instead of who he was. And when Jesus didn't turn out to be who they wanted, come on, their worship broke down. Their worship fell to the ground. And the same can happen to us. If we worship only because of what he can do for us, What happens when he doesn't do it like we want it to be done? What happens when things don't turn out exactly like we think they should? Look at the screen. Outward worship will fail when it's based on outward circumstances. (laughs) If we worship, oh my goodness, if we worship Jesus based on what's happening around us, This is kind of harsh, but I'm going to say it anyway. What I'm saying is, if you can't praise him in the valley, don't bother praising him on the mountaintop. If you can't praise him in the storm, don't bother praising him when the sun is shining. We can't allow our worship to become selfishly motivated. We can't allow our worship to be crowd worship and allow whatever the crowd is doing to influence us. And what we do, Jesus is worthy of our worship regardless of the circumstances. And finally, number three, costly worship. Costly worship. Mary poured out all she had, everything. Her worship cost her, literally cost her something. And it was from a place of sacrifice. It wasn't casual, was it? It wasn't what the crowd was doing, certainly. It wasn't what anybody else was doing. It literally cost her a year's wages. That's why, you know, that's easily connected to our offering, isn't it? It it literally cost her money. Don't worry, I'm not preaching about money. Calm down. I did that a few weeks ago. That's why in our offering time, whoever's taking it often says, this is an extension of worship. This is an extension of our time of worship. Costly worship is about more than singing a song or raising our hands. It's about more than just coming and sitting in a pew or a chair. 
on Sunday morning. I love what Paul says in Romans 12, 1. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view. Everybody say view of God's mercy. Now, look at me for a second. We'll finish it in just a minute. Whenever I see that word view, I'm thinking vacation. At my age, I, on vaca- when I'm on vacation, I don't like to do a whole lot. I want a book and a view. Come on, somebody. That's, I'm sorry, I'm boring. That's just what, that's, if I get a vacation, all I want is a book and a view. A view of the mountains, a view of the, uh, of the lake, a view of the ocean, whatever. I don't care. Give me a book and a view and I'm good. Well, what is the view of God's mercy? The cross of Calvary. Paul is saying, because of the cross, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, and this is your true and proper worship. Didn't say anything in there about a song. Look at the screen. Costly worship will manifest through sacrificial living. Costly worship will be automatic from a life consecrated unto God. You won't have to try. It's a byproduct of living close to Jesus my God, of walking with him every day, of being obedient to his word. Costly worship will... Mary wasn't trying. Mary wasn't brainstorming of what can I do next. Mary just loved Jesus with everything and she was like... And that was it. You won't even have to try. If you're living for Jesus, costly worship will ebb from your very existence and people at your work or at school or wherever you are will be able to sense the aroma of the Holy Spirit in your life. My God, I feel that. Mm. I'm sorry. Mm. And that's the kind of worshiper that God's looking for. (laughs) Folks, I'm not there yet. Anybody? I'm not satisfied with where I am. But I'm on a journey. And I'm farther down the road than I was yesterday. God's not finished with me yet. And I'm going to be a costly worshiper of Jesus Christ. For my children... I want to be a costly worship as an example to you, my beautiful congregation. I want to be a costly worshiper of Jesus as an example to those folks who come in next Sunday. I want them to sense more than a song in me, come on, but the presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit that they desperately need. Come on, folks, they need Jesus. And we are his body. We are his church. And we need to practice. We need to prepare our hearts for those who will come in. 